Welcome to the Nordonia Hills Branch Library podcast on nonfiction, a discussion of nonfiction specifically and reading generally. This month's podcast, The Hills Are Alive. The Crack Podcast team, bringing you the Nordonia Hills Branch Library podcast, was traveling last month, touring the broad vistas and sweeping horizons of the American West. If you do get a chance to visit that part of the country, we can highly recommend Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, and Nebraska, each with its own unique and wonderful landscapes to view. And of course, if you're planning a trip out west, you probably want to stop by your library for valuable resources to plan your trip. As we were traveling out there on the highways and byways of the American West, seeing these wonderful vistas, I was reminded of one of the programs we have scheduled on our autumn calendar of events. This event will be occurring in October and is entitled Inside the Sound of Music. So this month, we thought we would give you kind of a sneak peek at some of the contents there. The story of the Von Trapp family, the real Von Trapp family, as well as the play and movies that have been made about their lives, and of course the music and the impact that their story has had. The story of the Von Trapps, actually more specifically, their movie, the famous movie, The Sound of Music, is one of those pop culture icons that engenders an opinion in just about any person. For the vast majority of folks worldwide, the movie is a cultural treasure. But there are those that have the opinion that the movie is a saccharine dose of fluff and is not really worth watching. Those people are pretty much in the very small minority. As the movie celebrates the 50th anniversary of its release in 2015, You'd have to go quite a distance to find someone who has either not seen it or not heard of it or doesn't have an opinion about it. And yet this movie is just a waypoint, probably the most significant waypoint, culturally anyway, in the story of the Von Trapp family. The original Captain Von Trapp was born in the 1880s in Europe. After his studies, he joined the Austrian Navy. During the early years of his service, his ship was caught in a typhoon off the coast of China. His ship survived, but some of the other ships that were accompanying his were not so lucky. Close to a dozen ships sank. It is worth noting that if his ship had sank, there would have been no Sound of Music story to write a play or a movie or any of those songs about. Georg moved up through the ranks of the Navy, and at one point he was invited to a party. The cause of the celebration was the launch of an Austrian submarine, the U-5. Now you know at the launching of a ship, they'll usually crack a bottle of champagne over the bow. Well, on this occasion, the woman who was selected to do the launching of the U-5 was a woman named Agatha Whitehead. Agatha Whitehead was English. Her grandfather was Robert Whitehead, who was the English inventor of the torpedo. After the successful launch of the U-5, there was a reception. 
and Agatha met Georg von Trapp. A few years later, in 1911, Agatha and Georg were married. They proceeded to have seven children. Now, if you'd watched the movie, you would think you knew their names. However, those are not the real von Trapp children's names. Instead of Brigida and Liesel and Friedrich and Kurt, you have Johanna, Hedwig, Martina, and Werner. After marriage, Georg continued in the Navy, serving in World War I with honor. His achievements in the war made him a baron and earned him the Maria Theresian Cross. When Agatha passed away in the 1920s, Georg was indeed left with a household of seven children and no mother. And so he hired a governess. Now, you may not get an idea of how many governesses went through the Von Trapp household. In actuality, there were 26 governesses before Maria showed up. Eventually, Maria and Georg were married, but in the late 1920s, not in the late 1930s as was portrayed in the movie. The Von Trapps had no daughter who was romantically involved with a young Nazi party member, and Georg and Maria went on to have three additional children of their own, for a total of ten Von Trapp children. The Von Trapps did have their own close call with the Nazis, but instead of walking over a mountain to escape them, they boarded a train and got across the border one day ahead of the borders being sealed by the Nazis in 1938. They made their way by ship to America and established their residence there. They were indeed a family singing group and performed across the country and across Europe at many concerts, singing many different songs. However, the captain never sang with them in public. Maria went on to write a number of books describing their experiences, both at home and on the road. In the 1950s, a German company bought the rights to her book to make a movie. It was a successful movie, and so they made a sequel to it. Before the movie was made here stateside, there was the play. Mary Martin, the legendary Broadway star whose most notable role is probably Peter Pan, saw a screening of one of the German films and thought this might make a decent play. She discussed it with her husband. He was also convinced, and so they approached some producers and finally involved Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein. The production was mounted, the songs were written, the play was cast, and finally shown. And it was a smash. It broke all kinds of records on Broadway, and ran for years. Now, if you had attended the play in the 50s, you would have an entirely different experience than if you had attended the movie in the 60s. There's a number of striking differences between the play and the movie, And some of it is due to staging. In a play, you have to have times when you're changing the sceneries over. There has to be some sort of side stage scene to capture the audience's attention, or some sort of musical interlude to provide the time for the stage crew to switch over scenery. Obviously, you don't need that in a movie because you just shut the camera off, (laughs) go to another scene, turn the camera back on, start filming. But even beyond that, there was also the song lineup. There's actually songs included in the play that never made it to the movie, and vice versa. Two songs in particular, Ordinary Couple and No Way to Stop It, are sung in the play, but never make it to the movie. In the play, both the Baroness and Max have singing roles. Not so in the movie. 
When Robert Wise, the director of Sound of Music, made his movie, they took those two songs out. However, they replaced Ordinary Couple with another song called Something Good. One of the most clever aspects of this is that Richard Rodgers wrote both songs. He wrote Something Good specifically at the request of Robert Wise for the movie. In addition to the staging breaks in the musical lineup, there is also continuity differences. In the stage version of the play, you do not hear Edelweiss until the final scenes at the festival. If you ever get a chance to watch a video version of this play, you may be struck by the difference in the story and how it flows compared to the film with Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer. But one note you should be aware of. If you actually do try to hunt this down on video somewhere, meaning the stage version, you'll have to get one of the early performances of the play. Because after the movie in 1965, stage versions of this play actually used the soundtrack or the song lineup from the movie, rather than the song lineup from the play. Later productions actually replaced Ordinary Couple with Something Good. Just another sign of how much of an impact that film had on the actual story of The Sound of Music. As well-received as the play was, and it did, like I said, set some box office records, it was dwarfed by the impact that the movie had. There are many critics and reviewers and writers who are convinced that it is a very rare thing indeed for the stage version of a story to be eclipsed or bettered by the Hollywood version of the story. And yet, in the case of The Sound of Music, it was almost universally agreed upon that that's exactly what happened. The movie version was superior to the stage version. And so the movie version. When 20th Century Fox bought this property, meaning the rights to The Sound of Music, it was with some caution. They were not sure what they had there and whether or not a genuine Hollywood musical still had an audience out there. When the casting was being done for Sound of Music, they really did look everywhere for potential Marias and potential Georgs, as well as the other roles within the film. Robert Wise knew almost from the get-go that Mary Martin would not be able to reprise her role as Maria, because by that time, Mary Martin was already in her 50s. Julie Andrews was brought on board, and everyone knew about her singing voice at that point, and everyone knew that she would be more than up to the task of carrying the songs. It is of note that when Julie Andrews appeared on her first day of filming on the Sound of Music set, she had not appeared on an American movie screen because Mary Poppins had still not been released. The filming was plagued by bad weather, mainly rain, throughout the time in Austria. And there's a number of stories of little mishaps and misunderstandings that went on during filming. One misunderstanding happened during the filming of the initial scene when Maria is traipsing through the meadows and across the brook and through the trees. The film company had actually rented a meadow from an Austrian farmer to do these scenes. And the production designer and the set decorators had actually planted trees in the fields, on a temporary basis of course, for Maria to have some trees to spin through. They also made an artificial brook, which they had to line with a rubber lining and whatnot so that the water would not just soak right into the ground, so Maria would have a brook to cross. Well, after they had established all this artificial scenery, which was real trees and real water, but kind of put together here for the production only, for the filming only, the farmer comes across the scene and sees this new creek in the middle of his meadow, and he's kind of upset. So he takes his pitchfork and he pokes holes in the liner, and the creek kind of drains into the ground. 
So other production had to kind of reassure him that, no, this is just temporary and we'll put it back the way it was before, but for now we just need it for this, for this scene. And they had to rebuild and reline the creek. That scene's also the single instance in the movie of Julie Andrews changing Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein's lyric. The original line in the song goes, laughing like a brook as it trips and falls over stones in its way. But in the movie, Julie sings over stones on its way. And of course, before Julie Andrews skips over the brook, they have to have the opening establishing shot of her twirling in the meadow and starting off her song which they had to do with a helicopter camera. Well, Robert Wise, ever the budget-conscious director, filmed that shot with the helicopter zooming in on Julie spinning in the meadow on the same day that he filmed the Von Trapps escaping over the mountains into Switzerland, again using a helicopter camera to shoot them from above the mountain there. So they filmed the first scene and the last scene of the movie on the very same day. And they had to do that helicopter pass over for Julie a number of times, and on a number of times, the helicopter's rotor blast knocked Julie on her, well, knocked her to the ground. But even with all the rain and the mishaps and farmer misunderstandings and helicopter gusts and whatnot, all stories indicate that the production crew and cast had a wonderful time in Austria, and the production progressed on its way. Now, the books where you can find all these stories on include some of the ones that we've just picked up in the last year or two here in the collection. One of them is The Sound of Music Story by Tom Santopietro, and the other one is The Sound of Music FAQ by Barry Monish. Both of them are well illustrated. Both of them have wonderful and unique stories of the Von Trapp family, the play, and the movie and the film production, as well as the music, and also the impact that the movie had. And there are other Sound of Music titles in the collection as well. Well, I've given you a taste of some of the stories that are involved in the real Von Trapps, the stage production, and the movie production. And we hope you come by on Thursday, October 22nd at 7 p.m., where I'll tell a much more full story of the Sound of Music. We do hope that you join us. Until then, we hope you enjoy the back-to-school season. We are always here for your school research needs. We hope to see you at your Nordonia Hills Branch Library. Music by 20 Riverside. Provided by Mevio's Music Alley. Music.mevio.com Thank you for listening. <laughs>